It's a great song. It's an even better thought. Amen. Thank you, Miss Heidi, for your ministry today. Miss Robin. <clears throat> Fellows on the horns. Miss Carrie, thank you. Appreciate it very much. You know, I mentioned as I was in Sunday school, I was driving in today, and <clears throat> as soon as I pulled out, really even before that, I looked out and I looked on our beautiful property where we live in good old Rives Junction. And I said, we have to be around here when somebody says Rive Junction. Whenever I say it to somebody else from a different part of the country, they said, is that Petticoat Junction? And, uh, you know, Green Acres, amen, something like that. Some of you. And, uh, no, and I looked out the window, and everything was covered in frost this morning. Not just the grass, the trees. It's so rare that, forgive me, frost gets that high. And uh, just it was a heavy air this morning, and I just, I thought... And I immediately looked up the verse in Psalm 37 I put on social media, just uh, by, by the breath of God cometh the frost. And uh, just was thinking about how awesome our God is, how awesome he is. And it, it really is the part of the message at the beginning here. When one studies him through creation, and especially in his word, the more awe-inspired or the more in awe of him we become. Amen. It's just tremendous uh, who God is. And, and particularly when you study the Word of God and you study what are called the attributes of God, um, you, you find out so much about Him. And I think about uh, our God is self-existent. Uh, you know, you get into uh, debates with people and they'll talk about, you know, God and they'll talk about, uh, you know, how, 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 how did this come to be and how did that come to be? And by the way, everybody, whether they're atheist or theist, or, uh, they, they come to the position of faith because none of us was there when it all came to be, except one. In the beginning, God. Yeah, in the beginning, God. So he's self-existent. Uh, you know what else he is? Uh, our God is self-sufficient. If you uh, and you don't have to go to these verses. If you just want to write them down, uh, John chapter five and verse number twenty-six. Uh, the Lord Jesus said, He said, "For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself." See, God is not only self-existent; He's self-sufficient. You know what that means? He doesn't need anybody or anything. He hath life in himself. I think about he's self-existent. He's self-sufficient. You know what else he is? Uh, according to several verses in the Bible, but I think of Jeremiah chapter 32 and uh, verse number 17, is he is omniscient. I'm sorry, omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. Here's what it says in Jeremiah 32, 17. It says, Ah, Lord God, exclamation point. Behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and thy stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. You know, when you're all powerful, there's nothing too hard for you. He's omnipotent. You know what else he is? According to Isaiah chapter 46, he is omniscient. What does that mean? He knows everything. He knows everything. Verses 9 and 10 of Isaiah chapter 46 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. And then he says this, Declaring the end from the beginning 
And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. God knows it all. He knows the end from the beginning. He's omniscient. What else he is according to the Psalms? He's omnipresent. Psalm chapter 139, it's such a great psalm. You ought to read it. Uh, we preached on it last year. But Psalm 139, verse 7, David says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. And he says this, If I make my bed in hell, talking about the grave, Behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning, if I, if I go east as far as I can into the sun, says, thou art there. God's everywhere. He's omnipresent. You know, I think about his wisdom. Not only his self-existence and self-sufficiency and omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresent. I think about his wisdom. It says in uh, the book of Romans chapter 11, it says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. They are past finding out, it says. Wow. By the way, don't be too upset with yourself if you say, I can't understand God. Join the club. It's not exclusive. Amen. <laughs> Wisdom. You know, you can't help but think about God when you think of his attributes. You think of his faithfulness. His faithfulness. By the way, that's what the sun is each day in the east. Rising in the east and setting in the west. You know what that tells us? Great is thy faithfulness. As Lamentations 3 and 23 says, Oh, I think about God's love. You know, if you're a Christian here today, by the way, you're not a Christian because you come to church. You're not a Christian because you know about God. You're not even a Christian because you pray to prayer. You're a Christian because you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior by faith. You said, I want you. I, I, will, I, I will take you. I want your forgiveness. I, I want to be saved. All that makes you a Christian. But you know why you are? Because God loves you. See, I've said this for many, many years. I'll say it till, as long as God gives me breath. Everyone who goes to hell goes unsaved, but no one goes unloved. God pity the Calvinists that believe that God loves sending people to hell. He's not my God. Not the God of this Bible, amen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So there's his love. And then I think about his immutability. That's a big theological word for the fact that God never changes. When you hear somebody say, God is immutable, that means he never changes. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. And then it also says in Hebrews, in the New Testament, chapter 13, verse 8, one of the greatest verses on the deity of Jesus Christ, the fact that we know that Jesus is God, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. If Jesus were to change, he'd get better or worse. The fact is he's God and he doesn't have to change. Amen. Oh, wonderful God. And, and quite literally, we could go on and on. <clears throat> However, by way of this introduction today, I'd like to highlight a particular attribute and kind of move into the subject of today. And that is God's generosity. God, our God is a generous God. He, he shares all that is his with us. And by the way, with the lost world. 
know what it says? It says he is kind to the unthankful. By the way, you better be glad about that. When's the last time you said, thank you, Lord? Sometimes it's been a little while, amen? He still can't. He, 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 he lets it rain on the just and the unjust. The lost person gets their crops watered and so does the saved person. Our God is generous. And it says, it tells us that in James chapter 1, verse 17, where it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above. That means God is the giver of gifts. And I think of some gifts that God has given us. It's a whole other message, just, just introduction today. I think of this. He gave us the gift of His Son. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I think about Romans 8.32, one of the greatest verses in the Word of God. It says, He that spared not his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He gave us his Son, which is what we need. What we need. Not only did he give us the gift of his Son, but he gave us the gift of salvation. What did he say? For by grace are you saved through faith, and then not of yourselves... It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Nobody works their way to heaven. Nobody can work their way to heaven. God gives us the gift of salvation. By the way, he gave us that gift so we'd share it with others. Not supposed to hide it under a bushel. Not supposed to just hide it in these four walls, amen. Supposed to take it out to here, to, to our community, to the world through missions. The gift of His Son, the gift of salvation. <clears throat> you know what else? And Christians, I know <clears throat> many of you know this, but you might be a new Christian. Uh, he gave us the gift of His Spirit. Not only the gift of His Son and the gift of salvation, but when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He gave you the gift of His Spirit. Jesus said Himself, I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. That's John 14, 16, and then verse 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things. Uh, when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. It's God's gift to you, to help you, to walk with Him, to be holy, all the things that you can't do on your own. The gift of the Spirit, the gift of salvation, the gift of Son. Hey, if you were to read Romans chapter 12, you'd find a whole bunch of gifts for service. They're called the service gifts that God gives within a local church. talks about preaching and giving and administering and all kinds of things that the people of God, He gifts us with those. But then, there are what I would classify as some stranger gifts that he gives that fall under the auspices of the great verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Some of you know that verse, some of you may not. It's a wonderful verse, comforting verse. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his, pur to his purpose. So it tells us there that all things work together for good. And we can begin to list a whole host of things which come into our life as we journey through this fallen and broken world which do not seem very much like gifts when they come into our lives. But since God gives them to us, or at the least permits them into our lives, we 
have to take them as gifts from him. And one of those gifts, and again, it's strange to even put these in the same sentence, is the gift of sorrow. The gift of sorrow. And more specifically, in sorrow, the gift of tears. The gift of tears. Again, you may say, tears? A gift? Really, Pastor? I mean, and I know it's, it, it seems strange. But let's, let's take a look at what say the scriptures here. First of all, let's look, if we could back there in Revelation, to kind of get our context here of what's going on. And, and this passage in Revelation is the day, and I have capital T, capital H, capital E in my uh, notes here, the day, the soon coming day, the one day closer than it was yesterday day, when God makes all things new. And we see in verses 1 and 2, we see the preparation, if you look there in verses 1 and 2. It says, here, here's John, and John's recording what he sees. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. And look what he says here. What, what amazing imagery he uses. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Fellas, I don't know about you, but the day my bride walked through that door, there was a, a skip of a beat. Amen? And there was, thank you, somebody's getting lunch today, amen, for that amen. Yeah! Oh, you know what it was? They, they prepared themselves. You, listen, I, I've been around a lot of weddings. I mean, it's, it's hilarious. The guys are like, when am I supposed to pick up my tux? And the ladies for 18 hours are in the side room, you know, just primping and prepping and the hair and all that stuff. They're, they're getting prepared. John uses the industry here. He says, look, I saw the, the holy city. And it was just like that bride who comes in all beautified. The preparation. Then in verse 3, we see the presence. Oh. What's it say there in verse 3? It says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And then it says this. It's not talking about a building, a tabernacle. Because it uses the personal pronouns. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ here. It says, And he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be their God. You know, ladies and gentlemen, there's a great hymn. We, we don't sing it too often. It's, it's a better solo than it is a congregational. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, how can it be? Oh my, we're going to see him face to face. We're going to see him. And I happen to think as soon as we do, we'll fall on our faces. But he's going to be there. And I wonder if he's going to say, I'm not going anywhere. And neither are you. You're here. And I'm here. Somebody said heaven is where Jesus is. Amen. So there's the preparation and the presence. And then there's the passing in verse number four. This blessed verse. 
This, this verse has been read at many a graveside, many a funeral, to many a hurting heart. This verse probably in many Bibles has marks where tears fell as they were reading it. And it says, And God <clears throat> shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Everything marred by sin on this earth will be done away with. You know the only reminder of sin for all eternity are the prints in our Savior's hands. Because he still had them after he got his glorified body when he reappeared to his disciples. He said, go ahead, look. I think it's just going to remind us for all eternity of how much how far gone we were and how much he loved us. But every byproduct of sin will be removed. And it says it there. There should be no more death. That's a byproduct of sin. Sorrow, byproduct of sin. Crying, byproduct of sin. Neither shall there be any more pain, byproduct of sin. All of that is going to be done away with. And we'll come back to that. But that is in the sweet by and by. And we live in the nasty now and now. When God, in His omniscience, in His wisdom, chooses to give us the gift of tears for this brief sojourn here on planet Earth. So let's look for a few moments, if we could, this morning at the gift of tears. I have six points, some sub-points, and I promise you we'll be out in time before the chicken sets the oven ablaze. Amen? Number one, the errors about tears. The errors about tears. Some will say that tears are always a result of personal sin. That's what Job's friends said about his weeping. It must be sin. Now, may I say this? Sometimes sin brings tears. I think of Peter as he said to the Lord Jesus Christ, Though all men forsake thee, I'll never forsake thee. And Jesus said to him, calmly, quietly, in his omniscience, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And I'm sure Peter thought, and I know, by the way, I know Peter thought, I'll never do that. Because when he hacked off the high priest's servants here, he, was, he meant business. When that guy came to take Jesus, Peter was the one who pulled out his sword. Jesus healed his ear, put it back on. And then you know what happened. The Bible says Peter followed afar off. That's always, boy, almost about the message tonight about backsliding. The further you get away from Jesus, the more, the closer you're getting to backsliding. And he followed him afar off. And you remember what happened? Several instances where someone said, hey, 
Aren't you Peter? I, I saw you with Jesus. No, 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 no. You got me mixed up with somebody else. And somebody else saw him. He said, no, no, that, yeah, that's, you know, yeah, I get that all the time. That's not me. It's, it's somebody else. And then finally, the little girl said, hey, I know you, you were Jesus. And he began to curse and swear. Just as he did, Jesus turned around, looked at him. And that's a great sermon, a look that made a man weep. Peter's heart was broken because of his sin. He knew what he had done. By the way, Jesus would later restore him. Aren't you glad? Yes. You, ever, you, ever let, you ever let Jesus down? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say, Amen. We all have. Yes. Aren't you glad he lovingly restores you? Whew. So I think of that. I think of... The, the errors about tears that tears are always a result of personal sin. No, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, here's another error about tears. Tears are always a result or are a result of a lack of faith. Tears are a result of a lack of faith. Well, if you had, if you had more faith, you, you wouldn't be weeping and crying. Let me introduce you to a wonderful verse. By the way, the Bible will destroy more, more false doctrine than anything else. Let me introduce you to a wonderful verse about someone who had the greatest of all faith. John 11.35. Jesus wept. Did he have a lack of faith? Did he have personal sin? No. So, it's an error in the teaching about tears. Always a result of personal sin. Wrong. A result of the lack of faith. Wrong. Not God's will. If you were in God's will, you wouldn't be weeping. Again, John 11.35. Jesus always did those things that pleased the Father. He was always in the will of God. How about this one? Some people will say this. Tears are a byproduct of a lack of genuine salvation. That is one of the most ridiculous errors I've ever heard in my entire life. It's, and again, I'm not saying you have to have tears to get saved. I didn't. But I know some people that did. They turned into a ball of tears when they got saved. Because they realized all that they had done and all that they had sinned against God. That God still loved them despite that. And was willing to save them. How about this one? Some people say tears are without purpose. Tears have no purpose. They're just you know, just it's, it's the eyes leaking water. You know, those are errors about tears. Let me give you, a, in the Bible... Some examples of tears. I'm just going to throw these at you. First of all, there are tears of sorrow. That is probably the most common tears that we know. That's Genesis 23, verse 2. And that was when Sarah died. And Abraham loved Sarah. And we have several widows in our congregation. And you shed tears when you lost that blessed one. I, I remember... In our church, uh, Brother Jack Miller, I remember when Jack's brother died. He went to the funeral up in Harrison, and Brother Jack, who's a pretty stoic man, burst into tears over sorrow that he had lost his brother. Those are probably the most common example of tears, sorrow. How about this, tears of sin? We mentioned Peter. How about Esau? It said, if you, if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17, it said that Esau 
Lest there be any profane person or fornicator as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Remember, he wanted to get it back. He gave away something that was eternal for something temporal, and he sought it carefully with tears, the Bible says, but he didn't get it. That's the tears of sin. That's what we would many times call the tears of regret. So there's the example of the tears of sorrow and the tears of sin. How about the tears of suffering, ladies and gentlemen? The tears of suffering. I think, of course, of physical suffering. And physical suffering produces tears. But I think of emotional suffering and mental suffering. Where you're just hurting on the inside and it causes tears to flow from your eyes. That's the world we live in. I always think of the, the, the father in Mark chapter 9 came to Jesus' disciples. He had a son that was possessed of a devil and he came to his disciples. They couldn't cast him out. And he came to Jesus and said, if you can do anything, please help us. And Jesus said, if, if thou canst believe, all things are possible. And with tears he said, I believe, help my unbelief. I like the fact that it says with tears. You know why? Because he had been suffering seeing his son hurting so bad all those years. Tears of suffering. Tears of sorrow. Tears of sin. Then you know also there's a, a good kind of tears and that's the tears of serving. Paul would say to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 19, he said, uh, serving the Lord with many tears. You know, I've learned that in the ministry. If, if you don't have a capacity for tears, I don't know if the ministry is for you. Because not only are you going to hurt, but you're going to hurt with people who hurt. It's part of the ministry. So there's the errors about tears. There's the examples of tears. How about the effects of tears? What do tears produce? They do produce something. They're not useless because they're a gift from God. So they, they can have a happy byproduct. I say, well, that sounds weird. That's where you get all things work together for good to them that love God. All things are not good, but all things work together for good because God is God. And He can take something awful and make something wonderful out of it. I say about my, my sermons each week, I know th I'm so thankful for the people that pray for me, but I say God takes this mess and makes messages to help people. And He does. He knows I'm a mess. But I think about the effects of tears. You know what tears will produce? I'll tell you what they'll produce. First and foremost, they'll produce sympathy. Sympathy is a wonderful emotion. Sympathy has to do with suffering. And sympathy, sympathy means I suffer with you. One of the first tears of sympathy in the Bible was when Joseph saw his brothers in Genesis chapter 45 and he couldn't restrain himself anymore and, and I don't have time to tell the whole story of Joseph but I'll just give you the cliff notes here Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers 
went and served Potiphar, was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, ended up in prison, helped two men in prison, interpreted their dream. They forgot. One, one passed away. They forgot. The other one forgot about him. And then Pharaoh had a dream, and the guy went like this. Amen. Not really. It's not in the original Hebrew that he went like this, but you know. Amen. And... Uh, and said, that's right, there was that, that Hebrew in the, in, in the jail, and he interpreted my dream, and he came and interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and Pharaoh put him in charge, and all of a sudden there was a great famine, and Joseph's brothers came down to buy corn, and they went back, he sent them back, and this whole launch was wonderful. I preached, I think, ten messages on it the year before last, and I love that passage. But then they came again, and, and you remember they, uh, Joseph had this all set up, and, and they were like, look, we, we can't do this, we can't go back without our brothers. You can't take him. And Joseph finally burst into tears. And they were tears of sympathy as they were hurting and hurting for their father. You know, up until a year and a half ago, if someone said to me, I have a loved one with breast cancer, I can have empathy. I can say, Oh, that's, that's, well, that's too bad. I'm sorry. But I'll tell you what, since August of 22, when my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, I have sympathy, and many times it produces tears on the spot when somebody says, I have bre my, my wife has breast cancer. Why is that? It's a gift of tears. It's a gift. It's a gift. It produces sympathy. You know what else it produces? Tears produce repentance. Repentance. You say, what's repentance? Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. Let me say that again. Some people don't believe that. Biblically, it is a change of mind that produces a change of action. And that's 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. It says, Godly sorrow worketh repentance. It produces repentance. How many times have you heard a message and the Holy Spirit convicted your heart and you were sorry for your sins and you know what you did with that sin? You forsook it. You know why you did that? Tears began to stream out of your eyes. God gave you the gift of tears. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Number three, what else, does, what else do tears produce? What the effects of tears they produce humility. Again, that look that made a man weep. You think Peter remembered who he was at that moment? Nothing will bring you lower than your sin. But here's what you need to remember. God already knew, and he still loves you. And those tears that Peter cried... They produced humility in his life. Peter wasn't the most humble one of the disciples. But he was after that. Tears. And then I think that tears can produce in us a pilgrim mentality. And that is this. When we, when we the Bible says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Right? As we weep, as we walk through this valley of sorrow, we are well reminded 
that we're just passing through. Aren't you glad? You know, people talk about, oh, you know, I, I, I want to have, I want to have this, I want to have it all, I want to have. You know what? If a man gain the whole world and lose his own soul, what does it profit him? You know, I think tears remind us that, hey, this is just temporary. We're not going to be here forever. So there's the errors about tears. There's the example of tears. There's the effects of tears. What do tears produce? Sympathy, repentance, humility, a pilgrim mentality. If you like alliteration, they produce confession, commitment, compassion, and conquest. Tears, all do that. All of those things are produced by tears. But then, how about the education of tears? We talk about what tears produce, but what do... And I have just a little quote here. I don't often have a lot of quotable quotes that are mine. But as I was preparing this, I, I just wrote down, each tear is a teacher. Each tear is a teacher. What do they teach us? Well, I think each tear teaches us about what's important to us. It's amazing what we can cry over. You ever catch yourself? Me and I, I think it was Christmas time. There was a Chevy commercial. And it just about broke me in half. I, I, had, I must have been cutting onions or, you know, had lemon, lemon juice around my eye that day or something. There was a Chevy commercial of this grandma who had dementia. She was just sitting there and, you know, just with that, that thousand yard stare. And a little girl came in and. It was, it was in Michigan. It was, it was filmed in Michigan. It was really neat. Now, some of you are going to go ahead and look it up. Don't put, don't put your phones away. Don't look it up now, amen? And, but I'm telling you, it was in the, the granddaughter drove her in her old Chevy truck, and they went around the town, said, oh, that, that's where you met Grandpa, and that's where, you know, this and that. I'm just going, ha, 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 And I'm thinking to myself, this is a commercial. Man. What's important to us? Cry over my wife. Cry over my kids. Cry over your hurts. Why? Because that's important. At least it should be. I think the education of tears shows us not only what's important, but how much we truly love people. And I understand some people are more stoic. Some people don't cry very much. It's okay. Really. I'd rather have you be faithful and not cry than unfaithful and crying all the time. Yeah. Amen? But then I think also of the education of tears is it really reveals the condition of our heart, doesn't it? You know what it says about the tribulation time in Matthew chapter 24? Again, I know the church is gone at this time, but it says this. It says, because iniquity shall abound, many shall wax cold. Sometimes God has given you the gift of tears, but you've quenched it because you're cold. Because of sin. In our text in Revelation 21, if you go back there and look, you see the errors about tears. You see the example of tears. You see the effects of tears. You see the education of tears. 
glory to God here, we see the end of tears. In verse number 4, what does it say there? It says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. All tears. And then what does it say? And there shall be no more death. Hallelujah. Have more tears been shed over anything else? Probably not. Death will bring a man who doesn't have tears to tears. Then it says, not only shall there be no more death, neither sorrow. You know why? Because we're going to be in a place where sorrow is not allowed. Sorry, not allowed in here. You need to go south. Sorrow. No death. No sorrow. No crying. Mind you, those of you who know your Bible know that just a few verses before, the great white throne judgment has commenced. The judgment of all the unsaved dead. And I'm going to tell you something. There will be many tears by God's people at that judgment that should have been shed when we were here. As we watch people that we claimed to love but never got around to giving them the gospel that could have saved their eternal soul forever, cast into the lake of fire. But there's the end of tears. There's no more death, sorrow, crying, neither shall there be any more pain. The former things are passed away. There's going to come an end of tears. There will be no tears once we enter eternity. To God be the glory. But then lastly this morning, and I love, by the way, when I think about that, that idea of no more tears, is a great old hymn. It's not in a lot of hymnals. It's in some of the older hymnals. And it's written by a man named Maxwell Cornelius, and it's called Some Time Will Understand. Oh, uh, here's, here's the lyrics. Not now, but in the coming years, it may be in a better land. We'll read the meaning of our tears, and there sometime we'll understand. Then trust in God through all the days. Fear not, for he doth hold thy hand. Though dark the way, still sing and praise. Sometime, sometime, we'll understand. We'll catch the broken thread again and finish what we here began. Heaven will the mysteries explain, and then, oh then, we'll understand. We'll know why clouds instead of sun. We're over many a cherished plan. Why song has ceased when scarce begun. Tis there sometime we'll understand. We'll know why we long for most of all eludes us so oft our eager hand. Why hopes are crushed and castles fall. Up there sometime we'll understand. God knows the way. He holds the key. He guides us with unerring hand. Sometime with tearless eyes we'll see. Yes, there, up there, we'll understand. The error is about tears. 
the example of tears, the effects of tears, the education of tears, the end of tears, and then lastly, the everlasting tears. There are many descriptions of hell which is beyond description that God gives us in his word. Many markers that he says. One of the things he says about hell in Matthew chapter 22, verse 13, that, that man without a wedding garment, that man who was trusting in his own righteousness to get him to heaven. Jesus says he casts him out, and he casts him out into the place of outer darkness, and he says this, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping. You see, if you die without Jesus Christ, if you refuse to trust him as your Savior, you will go to the place of everlasting tears. Forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, where tears really do have no purpose because they don't accomplish anything. See, here in our lives, they accomplish things. But in hell, they barely come out of your eyes because it's so hot there, there's no water. Can I tell you something here today? Don't go to hell. Don't go to hell. By the way, if you're, if you're saved, and again, this, this is not the marker of your salvation. I'm Lord willing, I hope to preach on faith and works next week. But if you're saved, you ought to live like you're saved. Now, that doesn't make you saved. Living like you're saved doesn't make you. There's a lot of people trying to live like they're saved that are. But I believe this. If you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit, you want to do right, uh, you, you, you want to read your Bible, you want to go to church, you just don't always do it. I understand that. But don't listen to me. Don't, don't rest on a false profession. If you, if you haven't seen, if there, there's no conviction of sin in your life, you say you're saved, but you're not convicted about any sin, listen to me, you need to get saved. And, and I, don't, I don't say that to make people doubt their salvation. I say it because of this. I know when I got saved, and I tried to do some of the things that I used to do, that the Holy Spirit bothered me about it. And he never did that before I trusted Christ. Listen to me. Weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth forever. When you didn't have to go there. When Jesus stands with his nail-pierced hands and says, Please trust me. I will forgive you if you ask me. I can change your life. I can deliver you from the penalty of sin. And I can also deliver you from the power of sin in this life. Don't go to hell. Don't be part of those everlasting tears. There is an end of tears. Thank God. Amen? But while we're here, tears can produce sympathy. They can produce repentance in our life. They can produce humility. They can produce that pilgrim mentality. I know I don't like very often when God gives me the gift of tears. I don't. But I'm reminded of a wonderful preacher from a hundred years ago or so. As a young man, he would cry and blubber through his sermons, and he always felt that they were just a, a mess. 
But as he would, people would make decisions. But can people get right with God? And, and he'd be up there, you know, just crying. And, and so finally he said, God, I need to be able to get through my sermon without tears. I, I need to be able to, to preach to these people. And so God answered his prayer. And he preached. And he preached. And he preached. And nothing happened. And nobody moved. And nobody made decisions. And finally he got down on his knees in tears and said, God, please give me back my tears. And that man's name was Dr. John R. Rice as a young preacher. Went on to found a paper that we get every month here called the Sword of the Lord. Incredibly used evangelist. He said, I never after that ask God to take away my tears. He said, many times I'd ask him to give me tears. God's gift of tears. It is a gift from your Heavenly Father who loves you. Father,